Good morning, everybody. I guess that's the message. Great. Well, I'd like to dismiss you now. That is fantastic. Actually, I want to, I want to warn you right now where we're headed with this. Can I, can I just spoil the whole message for you to start it out? That's what we're going to do. All right? Here's what we're going to do. Can you put Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 on the screen, please? That would be fantastic. And uh, we'll take a look at where we're going with this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I don't know how many of you have that as your life verse. We talk about sometimes having life verses, and maybe this is something that is uh, deep within your heart, something that you look at uh, over and over again. And uh, I really do not want this message to spoil that for you. I really don't, uh, because I do think this can be your, your life verse. But today we're just going to jump into this passage to see um, when the prophet uh, Jeremiah spoke these things and then how to orchestrate our life around it. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do three things, three things that I I hope to come out of this message in some shape or form. Are you ready? Number one, I'm hoping that in some sort of way, God would be able to reveal to us any hopes that we have that are questionable. Meaning, I mean, as human beings, we need hope to survive. We need hope to be healthy. We need hope in order to thrive in our lives. But sometimes the things that inspire us with some hope aren't necessarily unquestionable hopes. Sometimes there are other things that offer us hope, and maybe it gets us going, gets us going in a certain direction, but then when that hope is not realized, when that hope is disappointed, um, terrible things can happen inside of our minds and hearts and our lives. And sometimes even in our relationship with God, we're like, God, why did you not do this? Or why did you not act in the way that I was convinced and told that you were going to act? So that's the first thing. I hope that in some sort of way, and I can't do this for you, we can't do this for each other, but I think the Spirit of God can. Just open our eyes and, and, and to see what are some of the questionable hopes that we've held on to. And I would just guess that the longer that we've been alive, the more discerning we've become when it comes to what is a sure hope and what is a false hope, what's a questionable hope and what's an unquestionable hope. With, with the people here that have been following Jesus for many years, would you agree with that? They've been able to see that a little bit, right? It's like, oh man, I used to have that in my mind and somehow that changed and now I can see a little bit more clearly. So that's the first thing. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what are the unquestionable hopes. I have about 250 points to make on that one. No, what we're going to just introduce a few, bring to our mind. I'm sure we already know them. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. We'll get there. But we'll look at what are the unquestionable hopes that we have. And the third thing I hope to do in this message is that we learn how to live in the here and now. 
in light of those hopes, in light of what we know is coming in the future, how do we act in the present? All right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that uh, you are with us, that we are not alone. Thank you that you know our lives, you know our minds, you know our hearts. You know the things that we're facing right now. You know the things that we look back to and we have disappointment. And we wish things, certain things weren't so. Lord, we also, um, you know our present, you know where we're at. You know the choices that we're faced with on how to move forward, how to step forward in life. You know that some of those things, we, we may have that inkling that they're not fully of you, but we think maybe that's where hope will be found. God, you know those thoughts that we have. You know our temptations. You know our struggles. Father, you also know our future. And we don't, Lord. We admit to you that we do not know our future. But you know our future. And Lord, I thank you for the things that you have unquestionably promised to us that you will eventually do, things that will eventually come. Lord, I pray that somehow on this Sunday morning, in our normal routine of going to church and doing the things that we do, that somehow that you would speak to our hearts and minds and show us how to make whatever changes we got to make today. Show us the, the things that we're hoping in that we have to let go of, even if they're painful, even if they're embarrassing. And help us to be reoriented when we consider what is the promised future that you have revealed through your Son and that you bring into our lives in the here and now through your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to dig right in. Uh, hope, a future and a hope. Hope and a future. Um, once again, we all need hope. Once again, um, what is hope? Um, I'm an optimistic person, but that doesn't mean I'm a hopeful person in the context of what we're talking about with hope. Optimism is more like, you know, you think, yeah, I'm just thinking things are going to work out, even though it's kind of looking iffy right now. That's me, okay, in a nutshell. Um, also, there's, uh, you know, being hopeful, like positive vibes person, you know. I love positive vibes. Don't you love being around people that are positive? I just love it. I just, sometimes I even excuse people's theology if they're just positive people. Anyway. And then there's the idea of the, uh, you know, the more we, what we experience with uh, sports teams. Like, I hope the Twins will eventually get a victory over the Yankees in the postseason. 
Yeah, don't hold your breath. That's right on. That kind of desperation. Well, when we're talking about hope in the Bible, we're actually talking about the sure promises of God. His promised future uh, for our lives, for his people, for the world, for all of creation. And uh, those are the things worth building a life upon. All right. So let's, uh, this is risky stuff. I just got to say what we're diving into here. Can you feel that? I can feel that. It's like we want to make sure that we're building our, our life on things that God has actually promised. So Jeremiah chapter 29, let's look at the bigger context of this passage. Jeremiah was a prophet. And uh, around the time, well, during the time that the Babylonians were the, the world power and they were um, expanding their empire and Israel, uh, the kingdom of Judah was next on the list. And Jeremiah had brought warnings to the nation saying that because of your unfaithfulness to the Torah, your unfaithfulness to the law of Moses, the curses, the consequences that the law of Moses talked about for unfaithfulness were about to happen to them. And they needed to embrace what God was doing and just surrender to the Babylonians and not put up a fight. And um, the Israelites that uh, didn't like that message then didn't like Jeremiah. And um, they would try to contradict him, try to shut him up. But he continued on, and his words were proven to be true. So at this point, uh, what we're going to read here is that some of the people had been taken from Judah, from the land of Israel, and brought into captivity into Babylon. And then there's like different words going on this time of what's going on, what's God going to do, how can Israel have hope in the midst of being taken away from their God-given promised land and now into a foreign land. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is the letter that's supposed to inspire the hope in the people that have just been ripped away from their homes and everything changes. And, you know, I just want to say this. It's a, if you can imagine yourself being ripped away from your home, from your land and taken somewhere else, that's hard enough on its own, isn't it? But if you also, rightly so, with the nation of Israel at this time, view the land that they're in as God's gift to them and a part of their identity, their God-given identity, as the people of God, as the ones who God had made a covenant with, that's even more difficult to deal with. Because in a sense, it's like, God, where are you? Are you allowing us to be rejected? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So it sounds like, according to that description of what God is telling the people that have been ripped away from their homes and taken to another land, that, hey, it's just going to be a long weekend away. 
So just hang in there and, you know, hold on for one more day and things are going to go your way. All right? No. All that language describes, this is going to be a while. So what's, he, what's, the, what's God say to them? Put down roots. Build some new digs. Um, you're going to be there long enough to get married and have kids for your kids to get married and have kids. Isn't that interesting? Um, once again, this is Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. This is the context of the, the hope and a future, right? Think about if you were uh, an, an older person being taken into Babylon at this time. How could that be a, a hope, a future and a hope for you? It's like, what? It's going to be that long? I, I don't have that much time left. How is that hope? How is that a future? Well, one way when it comes to uh, following God is that God cares about us as individuals, but God has one dream for the world. This may be hard for some of us to hear, and it's be hard for us to hear at different times in our lives, is that it's good to have dreams, but God's commitment is to his dream of bringing his kingdom, renewing all creation, and renewing humanity. And unfortunately, or probably better said, fortunately, God doesn't fulfill our dreams. Because who the heck am I to think I know what's best for me. Who, what, what a, you know, the, 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 the clay saying to the potter, what are you making, what are you doing? It's ridiculous. So one thing that we actually have to let go of, one hope, is sometimes our personal dreams. Doesn't mean that we can't have ambition. Doesn't mean that we can't have goals. Can't, doesn't mean that we don't make our home here and strive for certain things. That's awesome. But it doesn't mean that everything that we want or what we're striving for that God is going to bring to fruition. And if he doesn't, then somehow he's a bad God. So can we just let God off the hook? Can you? Can you let God off the hook? If there's something that you think you're going to miss from your life, something that you can't achieve and fulfill, I am talking to myself. You're welcome to listen in. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This word welfare is shalom. That's that word, that Hebrew word that means everything is as it should be. Peace. Not just the absence of war and conflict, but life is flourishing. Pray for the place that you are to flourish. And we see this stuff echoed all over the New Testament, right? For us today in following Jesus. Love your enemies. Bless those who Pray for those who persecute you. Paul told Timothy to tell the, the men to, instead of using their hands in acts of violence and rage, to lift them up and surrender them in prayer to the Lord. And be at peace. Seek peace 
for the place that you're in, because that's good for God's people as well. Verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Man, this sounds like social media. Voices that are saying, this is what God says. I don't know about you, but I mean, my mind in the digital age is just fried. All right? I need a new operating system. We actually do from probably 10 years ago when the information wasn't as free-flowing and as quick and as strategic to get into our heads and try to get us to crack. They do. That's what they want. And I'm not going to let them. But in Israel's time, and at this time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is the true prophet of the Lord, but there are other prophets saying, well, I'm, I'm a prophet of the Lord too, and I got a bit of a different message than Jeremiah. One of those prophets, just in the chapter before, chapter 28, even in my Bible it's titled, Hananiah the False Prophet. Okay, you can read about him later, but it's a really funny story. And for anyone who's into vintage 80s WWF wrestling, you will relate to this, this story. You really will. Because, you know, it's like Jeremiah's like, I'm, you know, God's coming in and we're going 70 years into exile and that's what, you know, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And then Hananiah, Hananiah's like, no, that's not what's going on here. No way. What is going on? And, um, well, God had the prophets do some wacky things in the Old Testament to make their point. Isaiah went around for how many? Three years? With his buttocks uncovered. The New Testament says that now, like in the Old Testament, God spoke in various ways and various manners to Israel, but in these days has spoken to us through his son. Thank the Lord. I would much rather have my messages, my revelation of God through the person of Jesus than Isaiah's behind. Anyway, one thing that Jeremiah was told to do was to make a yoke and to wear it, the type of yoke that the Babylonians would use to drag the people out of their home and into captivity into Babylon. So God had Jeremiah take one of these and to wear it, like saying, this is what's coming, guys. Now, isn't that creepy, too? I mean, that's just a little bit preferable over the Isaiah situation, but it's still weird. Like, there's this prophet, and it's like, yep, this is what's coming, folks. Hananiah, he comes in, he's like, oh, no. This guy's saying 70 years? That's not what God is saying. You know what God's saying? Two years. I mean, if I was there, like, that sounds like a better deal. <laughs> you know, I'd rather it be two than 70. That sounds awesome. And, uh, you know, Jeremiah's, you know, having a little, no, 72, 70, all that. And Hananiah, finally, to make his point, goes up to Jeremiah and breaks Jeremiah's yoke. This is where the 80s vintage wrestling comes in, right? Takes a yoke, ah, you know, busts it and says, no, two years. And then that story, Jeremiah just walks away. It's like, okay, that's a nice show, nice lights and pizzazz and all that. 
way to make your point, but it's wrong. And uh, later Jeremiah said that, uh, you know, the things that are true will stand, the things that aren't will fall, and uh, that prophet died within a year to make the point. So there are false prophets. And when prophets appeal to our hopes, it gets a little bit messy. What's being promised? But in that case in Jeremiah 28 about that false prophet, the point is this, is that the prophets of old, what, what are the kind of things that they said? We should be following that track record. See, always look back. What were those voices saying? If you're someone who is struggling, obviously I recommend going to church. I recommend getting into the Bible. I recommend getting together with other people who can pray for you and go through the Bible with you. Those are the things I recommend. There's something else I recommend too, and that's a, a book that probably many of you have read by uh, the late Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Raise your hand if you've read Man's Search for Meaning. Looks like this church has some homework to do. All right. Well, uh, Viktor Frankl is, uh, well, he's passed away now, but he was a survivor of the Holocaust, an Austrian um, neurologist and um, an author, and he survived his uh, years uh, in concentration camps. And he continued to practice um, his trade, his profession, while he was in these camps. And uh, he saw the power of false hope in these camps. Uh, there's one story, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read it here for you, where somebody had, someone had heard a voice asking anything, what they want to know. And, um, or uh, he, this guy heard a voice saying that, this other person in the concentration camp could wish for anything they wanted. And this person wished that they would, could know when they were going to be liberated from the concentration camp. And the voice that he heard in his head replied, March the 30th. This person had a lot of sense of hope and was convinced. And as the date, the, the date ticked closer, the war got worse, making it appear to be very unlikely that freedom was near on March 29th. On March 30th, this man became severely ill the day that he expected to be free, and he lost consciousness on March 31st and passed away. In Frankel's own words, the ultimate cause of my friend's death was that the expected liberation did not come, and he was severely disappointed. This sudden, this sudden low, this, uh, the Sunday loaded his body's resistance against uh, the latent typhus infection. His faith in the future and his will to live had become paralyzed, and his body fell victim to illness, and thus the voice of his dream was right. During this time as well, uh, the chief doctor of the concentration camp witnessed an increased death rate of prisoners between Christmas 1944 and New Year's 1945. The doctor believed this was due to prisoners having false hope that they would be home again by Christmas. It always gives me chills when I read this book and read these parts. 
That's why it's so important to have unquestionable hope, not questionable. And to question what we hear. To question when there's like these specific things that this and that and this and that. Well, how do you know? Well, the one thing that, one way that we do know is through the scriptures. And through immersing our lives into the Bible and beginning how to walk through the Bible in its whole narrative to see how things are unfolding and to bring clarity to our lives in the here and now because we are not living in Jeremiah's time. Thank God we're not being brought to Babylon, ripped away from our homes. Thank the Lord for all of that. But the Bible does say that Christians today, in a sense, were exiles. That in a sense that we are waiting for our home to be revealed. So how do we know what is the sure hopes? What do, how do we know what the unquestionable hopes are that we can, we can have? Well, I would like to turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is a summary of the hope, but I would like to, um, if this stuff interests you, I would like to encourage you to go through 1 Corinthians 15, and you can see something at play. Let's bring up, uh, I have um, a slide I'd like to show that uh, has the unquestionable hope and a little, yes, there we go. Unquestionable hope, looking forward by looking backward in order to act now. Looking forward by looking backward in order to act now. So what we see with biblical hope is that we are hoping we're looking to the future, right? But what gives us the perspective is by looking back to see what's already transpired, to see the faithfulness of God, to see how God has been working. And then in that context of the promised future and the faithfulness of God behind us is the present where we get oriented on what to do now, how to act now. And 1 Corinthians actually has some really good examples of that. All right? So 1 Corinthians 15, the end of it is this. The end, 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which means die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on, the, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the unquestionable hope that we have. 
We don't even have the total hope that we will die. Isn't that interesting? Some, the, the last, when, when Christ reappears, there will be some people that actually never get the opportunity to die. Bummer. But everyone in Christ will be changed. This is our hope. When death dies, when the sting of death has lost its sting, when the full victory comes to Jesus, and we're all a part of that. I would just say, as a, as a beginner and for someone as myself, been following Christ for, I got to do this math, I don't know. Anyway, let's say 20 years, maybe a little, anyway, carry the one. 20 years, for me, in order to orient myself from the past and the future and in the present and how to act, I just, it's really simple just to look at this and aim at it, right? Like, that's the aim. That's the perspective. That sheds light on everything else. But it's very, very cool if you just go back a little bit in 1 Corinthians. Can I just give you a few highlights? So you can read 1 Corinthians like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and if you look at um, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, pressure stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the, work that anyone has, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What is this? This is looking at the, pre this is looking at the future, that one day, what we do, the service, how we serve God, that's all going to be tested, all of it. And it'll be revealed whether we were building well or we were building with uh, useless materials that can't withstand the fire and the test. So this is just one of those examples is that, okay, because I know that day is coming, that the fire is coming through, then for me, I want to make sure that I'm building appropriately. I want to take great care to how I'm serving the Lord and serving his church. There's another hope in that, too. You know what it is? Uh, people who are, I don't know if I should say this. I'll say it. Anyway, but people that do nasty things in churches, their work will be revealed, too. There's a little bit of good news in that. There really is. But it's sobering for all of us saying, I want, I need to, I need to build well. One more example, but there's a lot more in Corinthians. Oh, one is... Uh, figure out your own issues, because don't you know one day you're going to rule angels? What? I didn't know we were going to rule angels one day, Paul. Hmm, interesting. That's uh, First, First Corinthians 6. And the, the thing there is, because the future, we're going to have this, in the new creation, this vocation of ruling angels, you better figure out how to rule in the present. And that begins in the church, how to lead it, how to govern it, how to serve within it. Here's another one, and then, and then we'll close. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, and 
Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And what I want to draw out of here is verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. In talking about how we conduct ourselves with our bodies. See that? We have a hope of a resurrection. We look back and we see Jesus was raised from the dead. And in the present, it says it matters how I live. It matters what I do with my body because God's going to redeem this thing. God cares about this thing so much, it's going to exist forever. So therefore, what I do with it matters. 1 Corinthians is filled with this stuff. If you just walk it through, read through, and try to see this pattern unfold. So, in conclusion, after 70 years, the, uh, the people did come back to the land. Daniel was one who prayed when he saw that the 70 years was coming to a close, and interesting enough, um, there was an adjustment made that, yeah, you're going back to the land, but actually this exile is not just going to last 70 years, but 77s, 490 years. And this, in some sort of way, takes us up to the time of Christ. When they got back to the land, they started to rebuild and there's that great story from uh, when they got back to the land and they laid out the foundation for the new temple to be built because the previous prophets had said the temple's going to be amazing, it's going to be flowing, you know, it's going to be beyond the glory of Solomon's temple. They laid the foundation and all the young people that came out of exile, they saw that foundation back in their land and they're like, yeah, we're going to have our own nation, yeah, it's going to be awesome, whoa, and they're all stoked about it. But then the older people that were there, because they remember Solomon's glory, and this plan, this little foundation is like, that does not come close to measuring up what we had, what we saw in here before. Now when Moses built the tabernacle and Solomon built the temple, when it was all complete and done, they stood back, and the visible presence of God came and dwelt within it, heaven's place on earth. When they built this temple, nowhere from this time of this rebuilding all the way through to the time of Jesus, nowhere is it reported in any writing, in any tradition, that that glory returned. They never had. They never had that visible expression. But there was a visible expression that came eventually. Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit was poured out and above the believers the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire above their heads. You and I are a part of that. That's our hope, that God is creating a dwelling place here on earth, and he will make the new creation our home together.
and we have a work to do, and we have building to do. Let's do that together. I'd like to worship, uh, invite the worship team up. And um, in closing thoughts, just say this. We don't know when Christ is going to reappear. We don't know when 1 Corinthians 15 happens. And every generation, it seems, takes it as, well, that's going to happen now because I can see the signs. For those of you that have been alive for a few generations, how many times have people seen the signs? <laughs> what if we looked at it like this? Well, maybe I can see some signs. But also, because I've looked back and I see that everyone thinks they see the signs, maybe we should be positioning ourselves that we're going to be here for a while. And think about our kids. Maybe the future hope in some ways is for my kids and their kids. Maybe I'm not going to live through all that. I don't know, just some food for thought. So as we uh, go into the last song, uh, there are going to be some people up here to pray. And I realize that um, you know, if there's like any dashed hopes in your mind or if you're thinking like, I want to put my hope solely in the Lord and you would like someone to pray with you through that, people will be here in the front. You'll see them standing here if you'd like to come up during this final song for a prayer. Thank you.